Thank you for joining us for this episode of the IPI Policy Basics Podcast. Today's topic is, the goal should be energy abundance. We're coming to you today from the studios of Salem Media Group in Dallas, Texas. I'm Tom Giovanetti, the president of the Institute for Policy Innovation. With our IPI Policy Basics podcast, we are building an audio library on basic policy concepts and topics. For those of you who want to learn and understand how to think about policy from a free market, limited government standpoint, or for those who need to get up to speed on a particular issue. And I'm joined again today by our resident scholar, Dr. Merrill Matthews. So Dr. Matthews, we want to talk a little bit today about this idea of energy abundance and sort of what kind of government policies get us there, what kind of government policies don't get us there. And, you know, I think this might end up being a very short, sweet podcast because I think the topic seems kind of obvious. But when you actually look at the policy discussion out there about energy, it it may not be so obvious, right? But let's start with the notion that we've pretty well had energy abundance here for the past decade or so. Mm -hmm. You know, occasional things if there's a major freeze or something like that. But the country's enjoyed energy abundance. So Mm -hmm. we start from that aspect of it and ask the question why that's the case and then uh, then look at where things are changing. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, you know, we are, we're the richest country on earth. We're blessed with an abundance of natural resources. And of course, with the fracking revolution, we were suddenly blessed with an additional abundance of, of natural resources. It's right? a with, very important point because yeah. we haven't always had energy abundance, at least in the country, because mm-hmm. for a long time, about 30 years, we were dependent upon the Middle East, mm-hmm. mostly, for our oil and even some natural gas. I mean, if, we you, were, if you were if you were waiting in line for gas in the 1970s and hoping that and you I was got, at times. Yep. And hoping you got yours before they put out the sign that said out of gas. Uh, you did not think you lived in an era of energy abundance, but especially since the fracking revolution, we've had relatively low cost oil. We've had extremely low cost natural gas. And, and that has been a tremendous source of energy abundance in the U.S. Uh, but, you know, you've got a lot of controversy these days between people who are sort of proponents of fossil fuels and mm-hmm. people who are proponents of green energy or renewable energy or alternate forms of energy. And it's a very, very political conflict. You know, those who push renewables, I think, s- tend to see them as like the only thing standing between humanity and, and climate change disaster, Right. Uh, there's an imminent climate crisis. And so we have to switch to 100% renewables as quickly as possible. Tomorrow. Yes. As quickly as possible. Spare no expense. Spare no trouble. No matter how much it costs, no matter how disruptive it is. And and regardless of whether it's practical or not. And I think in their view, even even if you can't reliably power the grid on renewables alone, that's still okay because it's better than a climate disaster. So mm-hmm. they'd rather have an unpredictable power grid than, you know, deal with climate disaster. Right. So that's sort of their view. Then on the other side, you've got folks largely, but not exclusively on the right, who are defenders of fossil fuels. And a lot of times I think they tend to think somehow that in order to defend fossil fuels, you have to be opposed to renewable energy. You know, you have to be an opponent of it. You have to belittle and make fun of wind energy and solar energy and things like that, Uh, that somehow there's like energy partisanship, right? Like you're either on the side of fossil fuels or you're on the side of renewables and innovation and things like that. And I think what, what we would like to suggest on this podcast is that both of those extremes are wrong and counterproductive, that we shouldn't, the energy discussion should not be fossil fuels versus 
renewables. It shouldn't be fossil fuels versus technological innovation, that the real idea here ought to be energy abundance, that we want as many sources of energy contributing to the overall market as possible. We want as much natural gas. We want as much oil. We want as much wind. We want as much hydro. We want as much solar. We want as much geothermal, whatever the sources are. We want nuclear, of course. We want as much energy production as possible and that there's just there's just no rational reason to discourage the production of a single megawatt of electricity just because you favor one source or don't like another. And, of course, one of the key driving factors here, and I think uh, uh, Robert Bryce, isn't it, has mentioned yes. this to us, is, is electricity drives civilized society. Mm-hmm. Civilized society depends upon electricity for everything. Yep. I mean, our communications, how we get things, uh, entertainment, just uh, heating and cooling and so forth. You have to have electricity out there. Yeah. And so you, you've got to have that. And if you don't have that, you don't have a very good society. And so I think part of what we're saying is you need we've got we've got a population that has certain expectations about being able to travel to drive to a grandma's house mm-hmm. being able to fly to their uh, fly back home to your parents house or being able to turn on the television turn on the heater turn on the air conditioner and so forth and those things all work in a timely and affordable way so we've got that type of society right. we need that type of society and so the question is how do you fuel that type of society to provide the energy at number 1 the uh, at both a cost effective way but also as as a most environmentally friendly way exactly. and we may be changing over in that process and from my standpoint if we if we were able to move to all renewable energies whatever that type of energy would be mm-hmm. or all uh, clean energy whatever that type of energy would be I'm generally fine with that, but you don't want to up you don't want to disrupt society in your efforts to try to do that. Right. And and I think disrupt is the right word because I think we know, we know from from past experience in various states where we've had power failures and power outages and things like that. I think we know that at this point it, it's sort of a fool's errand to think you could run the entire electrical grid dependably on renewables. We know that you have to have a a base production that's coming from, you know, uh, natural gas and hydrogen and nuclear and even coal fire. We still have a lot of coal fire plants out there that, that we really depend on in certain areas to make sure we have dependable energy. And dependable is the key word, because right. just in the past week, we have heard of Europe, which relied a lot on wind power out in the North Sea. And for some reason, the wind just stopped blowing. Right, exactly. <laughs> and then the United Kingdom could not get uh, energy in there because they had to they had to start s- sort of drawing from other areas, mm-hmm. going to other sources of energy to try to do it. They end up having to pay high spot prices for that. Right. And so electricity costs are going up significantly. And they were trying to move to more wind energy, understandable, but it is not consistent and it can break down at times. You know, Normally, you want change to happen in a gradual, natural way. You don't want change driven by political agendas. And I think that it's reasonable to think that over time, as there's more and more innovation in renewables, 
that we could easily see renewables displacing fossil fuels over a long-term gradual basis. Mm -hmm. But where we get into trouble is when politicians try to make that happen right away, right now in an artificial way. And then you end up with these shortages and you end up with things like Germany deciding to shut down all their nuclear power plants and things like that. Uh, and that those end up being very poor decisions and having to go to coal. And, yes, exactly. <laughs> those turn out to be very poor decisions. If in fact, your goal is energy abundance. So part of what we want to communicate through this podcast is when it comes to energy policies, our goals should not be politically driven. They ought to be driven by markets and by the reality of what's available to us now, while being totally open to change over time and innovation over time. And you've mentioned people who would ridicule some of these other southern renewable sources and so forth. And I'm occasionally one, Mm -hmm. not because I'm opposed to them, but because of some of the things of the claims that are made by people who are exaggerating the claims or who just plain hypocrites Mm -hmm. uh former uh, the late senator ted kennedy was a big proponent of moving towards clean energy but they wanted to put wind farms out there of massachusetts bay and he fought it because he didn't want to have to see a wind farm out in the ocean didn't want to have to look at all those windmills and listen to all those windmills right off the coast of his vacation house right and so we're we're fine with with moving in that direction Mm -hmm. but it needs to be Number one, what is affordable and what's sustainable and how do you how do you let the system work? And this is just economics and economics sometimes takes time. Mm -hmm. It takes time for for various companies and individuals to figure out how is this going to work and how are you going to make this? And and here's a shortfall over here. We need to fill in that gap. It just takes a little time. Exactly. If, if, If you're if you're going to get to the point where renewables become, let's say, the majority producer of electricity in the country. It's going to have to be driven by further innovation in renewables. Otherwise, you would have to you know, cover half the country with solar panels and windmills, and, and people don't want that. And that's also, frankly, not an efficient use of land. To do to do it that way. That's right. And and if you're talking about renewables, or if you talk, are you talking about clean energy? Because clean energy and renewables mm-hmm. aren't necessarily the same. Right. So I would say if we can expand nuclear production for mm-hmm. electricity, I would be fine with that. Right now, nuclear makes up about twenty percent of our of our energy. Uh, electricity generation, Mm -hmm. but the environmentalists don't like nuclear. There was a time when they were sort of okay with it because it's clean, but they don't like it at all. Natural gas was considered for years a bridge form of energy Mm -hmm. that we would move from coal to natural gas, which burns cleaner. Mm -hmm. And then you would eventually, as, as time passed, you'd be able to get to renewable energies that were also clean energies. Right. Except now natural gas is not favored at all either. And, you know, when we talk about innovation, I, I was reading a couple of weeks ago, I was doing sort of a deep dive on geothermal energy. Mm-hmm. I mean, if just think about, I mean, the Earth's crust radiates heat. It, just, it radiates heat. And so it would be a relatively easy thing to do to sort of drill down and, well, not relatively easy, but it is a conceivably doable thing to drill down under the Earth's crust you know, pump water essentially a couple of miles down, have it superheated, come back up as steam or whatever to, to turn turbines and generate electricity. Now, that's renewable. You're not going to exhaust the heat of the Earth's crust anytime soon. So that's another example of the kind of innovation that could be happening in, in renewable energy and in, in inexhaustible sources of energy that don't pollute or don't do anything like that. So part of the message that we want to send to folks with this podcast is 
if you are a defender of fossil fuels, as we are, um, that should not put you in a position where you're always trying to be opposed to innovation in renewables because our goal should be energy abundance. We want all of the above. We want abundant fossil fuels. We want abundant renewable energies. We want innovation in new hitherto unforeseen sources of energy, nuclear and, and geothermal and more hydro and all those sorts of things. So we shouldn't let the energy discussion and we shouldn't let the discussion of the sort of portfolio of the diversity of energy sources just fall into just rank partisanship in politics. We ought to be all of us in favor of an all of the above strategy to where we have energy abundance in the country. And as big as the United States is, you almost need that because mm-hmm. Texas is the largest producer or has the largest production capacity of wind energy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, uh, I think, three times as much as the next state, which is Iowa. Right. But uh, there are other parts of the country that don't get the wind that we get in mm-hmm. West Texas and other places. And so wind energy may not be a, a, that good of an option for them. Uh, if you're in a place that you get a lot of sun, we get a lot of sun here in Texas as right. well. But solar may be good, wind may not be. And, of course, if you get a high pressure over sitting over you, high pressure area, and you don't get that wind blowing, then maybe solar picks up and you're able to use the solar power. So you need those things sort of patching in to fill the gaps. Mm-hmm. Um, and then again, you have uh, the ability of uh, being able to go across state lines in most places, but the grids are limited so you need that. Uh, j- it's a patchwork. You make a very good point that different things may be appropriate in different parts of the country, not only because of the changes in climate, but also the, the cost of land. Right. You know, if, if land is cheap, maybe it makes sense to cover it with solar panels or windmills or something. But you certainly can't do that in some of the extremely expensive areas, you know, in northern California or, or you know, the northeast corridor, you know, in the United States. Uh, land is too expensive there. It's too valuable to cover up with solar panels. That just doesn't make any sense. So you have very little wind energy in the south, in the southeast, just mm-hmm. almost no windmills. But they might decide to go n- the nuclear route. Mm-hmm. Right. And, of course, we've been talking, normally when we talk about nuclear, we're talking about nuclear fission. But nuclear fl- fusion out there where, you mm-hmm. com- where molecules combine and create energy is also being looked at at various places. And I've read recent articles where they think they may be getting close to that. If you do that, you don't have some of the problems that you have with the nuclear fission and having to find uh, some place to put spent right. fuel rods and so forth. So a lot of technology is going on, um, but we need to let that go. And the other reason I sometimes make fun of the, of the environmentalists is they want to try to say that their their Clean energy, their renewable energy is actually much, much cheaper. In most cases, we're just subsidizing it that much more. And that brings us back to the $3.5 trillion bill that they're looking at doing because they've got a lot of money in there to subsidize wind energy, solar energy, all kinds of things. Exactly. So we've spent a lot of time, I think, here trying to make a very sort of a – uh, a universal sort of kumbaya argument that can't we all just get together and get along on, on this idea of an abundance and a diversity of energy sources and all of the above strategy toward energy abundance. Uh, but we should also talk about the fact that we don't want government picking winners and losers. We don't want government choosing to punish one kind of energy generation and, and subsidizing another kind of energy production, that these things all ought to be worked out through innovation and in the marketplace. And if a new source of renewable energy comes along that is price competitive in the market, we should all think that's a wonderful thing. But we don't want government 
politicizing different energy sources by deciding we're going to punish this one and we're going to reward this other. It ought to be all worked out in the market. Which is exactly what's been happening for the past decade or so. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, I think a lot of times – you know, for for some of our fellow conservatives, they they feel this this urge to like make fun of like electric vehicles and stuff like mm-hmm. that, and and sort of what I want to say to that is electric vehicles aren't the problem. Government trying to force people into electric vehicles is the problem, which is again yeah. exactly yeah. what's happening. Exactly, exactly through subsidies and through mandates and things like that. You know, one of the things that Tesla did in creating a very nice electric car, mm-hmm. expensive in most cases, but mm-hmm. very nice is is people actually started wanting to buy electric cars. Mm-hmm. Prior to that, you, most people, the, the companies would try to come up with an electric car, and most people didn't want that. Exactly. Uh, and that's still true with most of the other I, electric I, I cars. I think it's still true that most people don't want an electric car. I mean, an electric car is not going to be your friend if you need to do a, a cross-country drive, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but, again, you sh- just because you are in favor of fossil fuels should not necessarily make you the enemy of electric cars, right? right? What, what, Innovation should be all, we should all be a friend of innovation. And that brings me sort of to like the last topic I wanted to talk about on this. And this is this idea that one of the next big innovations that's coming along is large scale battery storage, where you're literally going to have warehouses full of highly efficient batteries, where electricity is actually pumped into and stored from a variety of sources, wind, solar, natural gas, whatever. And it is stored there and then essentially resold to electrical generating companies. And it's going to be almost like instead of just having a backup generator for your one house or for your one building, it's going to be almost like having a backup generator like for an entire area of the grid. And this is a huge new innovation that we're going to see in the next 10 years. There's already several of these installations in Australia, and I think there's a couple in the U.S. in various places. And what's going to happen is there's actually going to be a creation of a market where these large-scale storage facilities are going to be buying power from the lowest-cost producer and then reselling it to electricity distribution companies. And so we're going to actually see the creation of a new market and the creation of new sort of price pressures on all of these different sources because, you know, a battery is agnostic. A battery doesn't care whether the power is coming into it from a windmill or from a natural gas furnace, or from a geothermal plant, uh, or from a solar panel. The battery doesn't care. So you'll be able to buy power. You'll be able to have new price pressure and buy power as cheaply as possible. And it may be that during the daytime, the cheapest power is coming from solar. And on a windy day, the cheapest power is coming from wind. And on a cold night, the cheapest power is coming from natural gas. And these storage facilities will be able to buy whatever's cheapest at the moment. And then turn around and resell that at a market price. So we're getting ready to see some really incredible innovation in this area. And we need to not think of large-scale battery storage as somehow only related to the green movement or the environmental movement or to climate change. It's just innovation. And regardless of whether you're a defender of fossil fuels or whether you're a climate change advocate and you think we ought to be going to renewables as soon as possible – we should all view innovation as our friend, and we should not be opposed to innovation in any area of energy if, in fact, our goal is what we think it ought to be, which is energy abundance. So we would urge policymakers to have a strategy of all of the above when it comes to energy. Don't try to favor one form of energy for political purposes and punish another, but let's encourage through markets and innovation all possible sources of energy.
So that's our IPI Policy Basics podcast today on the goal should be energy abundance. You can find a lot more about energy policy at our website at IPI.org. If you've enjoyed this IPI Policy Basics podcast, we would appreciate a favorable review on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform, and we would really appreciate it if you would share it with your friends. You can also help to sponsor these podcasts by becoming a member of IPI's Giving Society. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you next time.